my brother-in-law, Will, is in town. He's a pastor out in Chicago. And uh, I was just thinking about him, and I was thinking about the fact that we both went to Smithtown Christian School growing up. And, and unfortunately, we didn't have the best reputation at Smithtown Christian School. We were kind of known to be troublemakers. And um, Joey Lucci, who's our youth pastor now, uh, he's, he's our cousin, Will and my cousin. And he also went to Smithtown Christian School, but he's about 10 years younger than us. And so he shows up, 7th grade, English class, Miss Brew is the teacher. And Miss Brew gets up in front of the whole class and she says, Okay, I want you to raise your hands if any of you guys are related to any of my former students. And so a bunch of hands go up, and, and so she, I don't know, she picks some girl, oh, yes, who do you know? And she says, oh, Jennifer, yes, she was, she was an amazing student. What a, what a writer of limerick she was, you know, and she's just all excited about, you know. And then, oh, Billy, yes, oh, your brother Bob, he was wonderful, so the heart of a saint. So, so Joey's just waiting, Joey's waiting. So eventually, Miss Bruce says, yes, Joseph, uh, who did you know? Who are you related to? And he goes, well, he's, well, I'm related to Will Pavone and Doug James, and she stumbled backwards and grabbed at her heart. No joke. <laughs> And there's a legend that has risen over the years that when our names were uttered, the lights flickered, and the doors and windows shook, and the tectonic plates under Smithtown Christian School shifted, and the ground opened, and Miss Brew was swallowed whole, never to be seen again. All right, I made that part up. But here's what I know. I know that there are parts of Miss Brew that have been broken because of me. And I cringe over that. And you know what? I've seen her over the years, and I've gone to her, and I've apologized. I said, Miss Brew, I'm so sorry that I did those things back in seventh grade. I'm a pastor now, you know? So to give you some hope for those kids that are difficult in the future, you know? I'm so sorry. And she was very gracious and loving and kind and forgave me and is a wonderful woman. But you know what? I think that there are broken places in all of our hearts. And just like I did some things and said some things that broke her heart in some ways, I think Think that there are things that have been said to you and done to you that have broken your heart as well and my heart as well, right? And so maybe it's something somebody said. Maybe it's, it's the words, I hate you, coming out of somebody's mouth at you. You know, it's a parent, it's a sibling, it's a, a child, it's a spouse. Just words you didn't want to hear from somebody that you looked up to. Um, maybe, why can't you be more like your brother or sister? Maybe a friend or, or someone that said they were a friend saying, why are you so... Why are you so fat? Why are you so skinny? You're too tall. You're too short. You're ugly. Just those words that scar us. Uh, maybe someone like a teacher or a boss saying you'll never amount to anything. So maybe it was something somebody said. Maybe it was something somebody did. Maybe they rejected you. Maybe it was someone you asked out and you got rejected, but like in a big way. It wasn't like they did this graciously. It was like they told everybody that you asked them out and that the answer was no. Maybe somebody stabbed you in the back. Maybe somebody lied to you or about you. Maybe somebody cheated on you. Maybe somebody abused you. Or maybe somebody made you feel like you weren't wanted very much. I think of my dad, who was an amazing father. And he can remember one time in his life that his dad attempted to play a sport with him. Like one time in his life that his dad took the time to say, hey, let's go throw a football around for a little while. And it ended up with my dad just sort of like being like, you know what, we tried It's okay. And I just think that that sort of broke my dad. I think there are some places in his heart that were broken by that interaction. And maybe some of you guys can relate to that from a dad or from somebody else. And so sometimes it's the things that people do. And you know what? Sometimes it's not the things that people say or people do, but it's it's what life does to us. You know, we live in a broken world. We live in a world that's, that's crazy and painful and, and bad things happen. And some of us in the room, our hearts are broken because of some kind of 
thing that we've walked through, maybe a season of extended sickness that has ruled us out from doing some things we love. I know my daughter Bryn right now, she's supposed to be playing summer basketball and she's supposed to be playing fall basketball in a few months, but she can't do either because she has an issue with her knee and she's sidelined and you can just see the heartbreak in her. Maybe something like that's happened to you where there's just been a season of, I thought I was going to be able to do this and enjoy this and do what I love, but something happened and I haven't been able to do what I'm passionate about. Or maybe it's just suffering loss. You know, myself, my wife, my my dad, my sister, and my brother-in-law were all in the hospice room when my mom passed away. All there, gathered together, and and in a way, it was a good thing, and in a way, it was a really hard thing, because I still, to this moment, can remember her just sort of struggling for those last breaths. I can can remember just what it sounded like, and and what it looked like, And, and to this day, anytime I'm you know, watching a movie or a TV show and someone is dying on screen and it's sort of this long, drawn-out thing I can't watch. i got to look away because it takes me right back there. And just that broken place in me. And I just wonder about just some of the broken places in you. Some of the things that have happened because of what people said or did or, or maybe just because of what life has done to you. And so we all have these broken places in our heart. And last week we, we looked at two things about the brokenness in our hearts, right? We looked at the fact that Broken things come out of us because of our brokenness, right? Broken things come out of broken people. And so sometimes anger might come out of you because there's some broken places in you. And I was just real candid with you last week and said that's my number one struggle is that the brokenness in my heart plays itself out in anger toward people that I love, that, that I hurt, that I don't want to hurt, that don't deserve to be hurt. Somebody did something to me 30 years ago that broke me and now I'm taking it out on my wife and my kids or my coworkers. And I've noticed over the years that that's my go-to. That's, that's the thing that I struggle with. I think another thing closely linked to that for me out of the brokenness of my heart is impatience. And I think impatience and anger can be a little bit linked. But maybe for you it's pride. Um, pride like no one's ever going to hurt me again. And so this brokenness comes out of a broken heart. And, and you know pride and insecurity are really closely linked, right? Often the most proud people are the most insecure people. And the pride is just a facade. And so maybe some intense insecurity is down deep. But you kind of front pride and say, no one's ever going to get that close. I'm not letting anybody in, which is no way to live life. And so, I don't know, what comes out of you that's broken because of the broken places in your heart? The other thing we do is we turn to broken things to try to heal our hearts or numb our hearts out a little bit, right? And we talked a little bit about this last week. I'm not going to go into as much detail, but, but sometimes we turn to things like sex. And sex is a beautiful, amazing gift that God has given. But when we turn to it to try to heal our brokenness, we end up more broken. And so that is not the answer. Some of us do some things to try to numb ourselves out, right? And so it may be sex, or, or, or I'm sorry, it may be drugs or alcohol, but it may just be as simple as like material things that we think are going to distract us for a while. And so we go and buy a bunch of stuff we can't afford. Or maybe it's food, right? Like I said last week, sometimes that's the only thing you control, control is what you put in your mouth, you know? So like the equation in your head is body hurts, ice cream yummy. And so that's, I'm going with ice cream right now, right? I don't care if it's good for me or bad for me. I'm just going to distract myself a little bit with my friends, Ben and Jerry. They're my new best buddies, and we're going to do life for a while, right? But there's a better way, right? There's got to be a better way. And so this is so important because everything I've just mentioned, food and, and the drink and all the things, they're a Band-Aid at best, and they're a poison at worst, right? I mean, material things, I mean, there's nothing wrong with buying something new. But if you're looking to that to heal your broken heart, that's just a Band-Aid. And band-aids always fall off. And it's a poison at worst. And so there's got to be a better way. Because like we saw last week, hurt people hurt people. 
right? Brokenhearted people have this broken stuff coming out of them, and they end up hurting people. And so I want you to think about this. If, if you, this past week, went to a cardiologist, and the cardiologist said to you, you know what? There are some serious issues with your heart, your physical heart. We're going to have to do some surgeries, or we're going to have to get you on some medications, or whatever we have to do to regulate this. My dad had some heart trouble earlier last year, and he had to have some things done. He had to have his heart checked. He goes in for regular checkups. And you know what I know probably about all of us here in this room, that if we went to a cardiologist this week and they said, there's some issues in your heart, this is what you need to do, we would all go, okay, I'm in, doc. None of us would say, you know what, doc, I don't really feel like you're prodding around in there. But you know what I think a lot of us will be tempted to do tonight is just go, no, God, I don't really want you prodding around in there. I don't want to mess around with my spiritual heart, God. I'm okay. I don't want you to mess around with my emotional status. I'm just going to pretend everything's kind of okay. And I told you last week, that's what I've done for most of my life. I've been hurt by people, and I've just sort of said, I'm going to pretend it didn't happen. And eventually, the hurts come out in anger and impatience toward the people that I love the most. And I just wonder... What broken things come out of you and what broken things do you turn to because of the brokenness in your heart? And so we have to introduce God into the conversation here. We have to begin to look at him. And, and, and the truth is, is that many of us have holes in our hearts while God wants us to have hearts that are whole, right? That, that's the reality that we began to kind of build on last week. And, and we answered two questions last week. Remember the questions? Is God qualified to heal my heart? And is he interested? Like, does he even care about what my heart what my heart is feeling today? And the answer is yes, God is qualified and interested to heal your heart. Now tonight we want to answer a new question. And the new question is this. Is, uh, I'm sorry, why is Jesus the best person to heal my broken heart? Why Jesus? Okay, why not a, a therapist or a counselor or a friend or some other God? Or, uh, and there's nothing wrong with therapy and counseling. I, I want hear me loud and clear on that. But, but I'm just telling you, Jesus is the best person to heal your broken heart. And I want you to see why that is. Tonight, And so we're going to look at some, some verses that I hope challenge you. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're so glad you're here. And I, I just want you to know, I think that this is just as relevant to you as anybody else in the room, right? Because here, here we are answering this question, why Jesus? Why would I trust him with my heart? Why would I look to him? And you know what? As we look here tonight, you're going to see it's not only your heart that he wants to heal. He wants to heal some other things and do some other incredible things in your life. So here we go. So we're going to look at Isaiah 53. And in Isaiah 53... We see some incredible things, and if that chapter sounds familiar, it's because it's super famous. And Isaiah wrote this 750 years before Jesus ever came. And the beautiful thing about Isaiah 53 is that it is a snapshot of the cross. It's like Isaiah took a picture of what it would look like for Jesus to be crucified and wrote it all down in Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet, and so God spoke to Isaiah about what Jesus would come and do. And I told you this before, years ago, that one, one time somebody took the chapter of Isaiah 53 and they photocopied it, but they removed the title, Isaiah 53. And they handed it out to their, all their friends who weren't Christians at work and said, who do you think these verses are about? And every single one of them said, these verses are about Jesus. And everybody thought that Matthew or John or one of the eyewitnesses that lived in Jesus' day and saw Jesus on the cross wrote these verses. But the truth is Isaiah wrote them 750 years before And the fact that that happened is some incredible proof that God is real and that what he says can be trusted. And so what we're going to see tonight not only encourages us, but also helps us see that God is alive and well. And so let me tell you this. Isaiah 53, first and foremost, is written to show you what God wants to do with your sin and my sin. But 
A side benefit of Isaiah 53 is realizing, understanding, and enjoying the truth that there are some amazing things he wants to do in our hearts. One of the things I want you to see tonight is that part of dealing with the pain in our hearts is understanding what Jesus has done with sin. And we're really going to drive that home near the end of this message. So let's check out Isaiah 53. Look what it says in verse 3. It says this about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Now, first question, why does it seem like everything's written in the past if Isaiah wrote this 750 years before Jesus came? Real quick, so basically what a lot of these prophets would do is they would write in such a way that when God showed them something was going to happen, they wrote it in the past tense because it was as good as done. Like God said Jesus is coming, awesome. I'm going to write this as if he already came. And so that's why that writing style is used. But can I just ask you to relate to this verse for a minute? I don't know about some of you, but I know when I read this verse, sometimes I feel like that could kind of be written about me. Because I know what it feels like to be despised and rejected. I know what it feels like to suffer. I'm kind of familiar with pain. Some people have hid their faces from me. I've been despised. I've been held in low esteem in my life. Sometimes I wonder if, if Jesus, or we wonder if Jesus can relate to us, right? But, but here we are going, oh my gosh, that verse is written about Jesus, but I've, I've lived all that. I've felt all that pain that he's felt. And I think that helps us understand something really important tonight, that Jesus is the best person to heal your heart because he can relate to your hurt. He gets it. He understands what you've been through. He gets the pain that you've experienced. So let's just talk about what Jesus can understand. He knows rejection. He knows suffering. He knows people hating and despising him. He knows betrayal. He knows abandonment. He knows what it's like to be falsely accused. He knows what it's like to be lied about, physically abused, emotionally abused, mocked. You ever been there? Ever been in any of those places? Because this is so powerful that Jesus can empathize with you. Not just sympathize. Not just say, oh man, I'm so sorry you're going through that. I have no idea what it's like to go through that. But I'm really sorry you're going through that. No, Jesus can look at you and me and say, I know exactly what it feels like to be rejected. I know exactly what it feels like to be betrayed by people who said that they were trustworthy. I get it. I feel your pain. And that's one of the amazing things about Jesus that sets him apart from every option out there. Is that he came and lived as one of us. So that, listen, so that in times when we feel pain, we can go, all right, Jesus gets it. He understands. In fact, listen, you ready? This is, this is something I, I kind of put into practice this week because something happened earlier in the week that sort of hurt me. And when I got hurt, I just, I just had this thought that I should stop for a second and I should basically ask the question, how can Jesus relate to what I'm feeling right now? And I just thought about Jesus' life. And I thought about what he'd been through. And I thought about a time when he had been through something just like I had been, to, uh, been through. And I felt just comfort in knowing that he gets it, that he understands my pain, that he understands what I'm going through. When you're going through something difficult, who do you want to talk to? Somebody who's been through it, right? Somebody who's also struggled with some of those same things. And so Jesus is the best person to heal your heart because he can relate to your hurt. Let's look at verse 4. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. These words took up here, if you look at the Hebrew, they mean bearing or carrying. And the word suffering means anguish, grief, pain, and sorrow. So the message conveyed in this sentence is this. Jesus carried the load of your pain. 
Jesus carried the load of your pain. Now, this is such a big deal because here's the thing, guys. I think some of us walk around with weights like this in our hands with the word loss on it, right? We carry the sorrow, the pain of loss. And here's the thing. We don't realize we're carrying it. We, we just, we're just living life. We don't realize that loss is still affecting us. And so we lost somebody a long time ago. We lost somebody recently, and loss is affecting every single relationship we have. We just haven't realized it yet, and we carry this weight. Some of us are carrying the weight of rejection around. I'm telling you, when you've been rejected, it changes how you interact with people. You don't trust people. You're not looking through eyes of security. You're looking through eyes of insecurity in all that you do. And so you always think people are out to get you, that people have a bad motive. And so you and I, we carry around rejection. We have this weight. We don't even realize it's getting to us. Some of us are carrying around a weight of abuse. And we don't realize that the reason that we're struggling so badly with some of the sin in our lives is because abuse broke us. And instead of getting healed by God, we're turning to things like sex and alcohol to just try to numb out the pain and find some acceptance. And so we carry around these weights. Guys, Jesus is the best person to heal your heart because he already carried your sorrow. He already carried it. He carried it on the cross. He carried the load of your pain and my pain on the cross. And I think, guys, Jesus' heart for you is put these weights down. Why are you trying to carry them? I already carried them. I think that's the heart of Jesus for you and for me. He already bore the weight of our pain and carried the load of our sorrow. And then we look here and the next part says, Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Now this is a, a really important verse. You know why? Because look at that word, pierced. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was pierced because of our sin. That's a pretty accurate picture of crucifixion, isn't it? They would pierce your hands and feet. You know why this is so powerful? Because crucifixion wasn't invented for another 200 years after Isaiah wrote this. And so Isaiah is seeing a picture from God of something that doesn't even exist yet. And so this is really, really powerful. And it was kind of an intense message. So let's just take a minute and have a little fun together and and lighten the mood in the room a little bit. And also, if possible, lower the air because I'm about to pass out up here. It's a little hot. But um, I think, can you imagine if somebody, if anybody could go do that? I was serious. Um, uh, (laughs) I'm like, "Ah." Um, but I think that uh, if one of us could predict the future in any way, shape, or form, that'd be pretty powerful, you know? Like, if you had the ability to, to say, okay, here, here's what's going to happen in the future, and then it actually happened, like, that'd be unbelievable, all right? And so, I just want you to think about the telephone for a second, okay? So, the telephone was invented in 1876, right? And in 1876, they come up with this great invention, and, and if you think about it, like, the connectivity side of the telephone changed for a while, but, like, the... The, the way it looked was kind of similar for a long time. Like, I had one of these as a kid in the 80s, and it was, like, attached to the kitchen wall. And, like, this is all you could go. This is all you had. This was it right here. And so if you're talking to, like, your girlfriend, like, you have no privacy, you know? So you're in the kitchen, you're like, I love you most. I love you most. And your brother walks in, you're like, I love toast. I love some marmalade jelly and toast. I just, and so that, that happened. And then, like, late 80s, they figured out how to make this cord like a thousand feet longer. 
and you could stretch it down the hallway, through the kitchen, up the stairs, and you could be like out on your roof talking, so you got some privacy. And and then and then like the '90s, they came out with these phones, um, <laughs> which were so incredible, and you could talk with people, like go outside, which was really awesome. And then also these were handy because if an intruder came in your house while you're talking, you could take care of them. And then they ditched the big antennas, and then you just had these. And then, um, I don't know how many of you guys are going to remember this. I know some of you are young in the room tonight, but does anybody remember the first cell phones? They, they looked so big like you were calling in an airstrike in battle. Like, who was that military man on the, on the corner over there? Oh, that's just a cell phone. And then they made them real small. Does anybody remember the first flip-down phone? Like, the first time a phone flipped, you were like, what just happened? And then they had the phone where you could turn sideways and flip up and text on that. And now they have like the iPhone and oh my goodness, the whole world's in your hands. Everybody's chasing Pokemons all over the place. I don't even know what's going on. Everybody lost their mind. My, my brother-in-law went down into Port Jeff the other day and he said that apparently, I guess that's like a hub for Pokewhatevers. I don't even know what I'm talking about up here. And so they're like chasing. And he said it looked like, he said it looked like the whole town's like the walking dead. Everyone's just going like this down the, you know, so I don't even know. But imagine that in 1826, 50 years before the phone's invented, that someone could, could prophesy or predict that all these amazing things are going to happen over the next 100-something years. That'd be pretty cool. But this is so cool because you have Isaiah prophesying 750 years before Jesus is crucified, 200 years before crucifixion even exists, that Jesus' hands, and, or, or I'm sorry, that Jesus would be pierced. And then David, even 250 years before Isaiah, in Psalm 23, Psalm 22 says that they were going to pierce his hands and his feet. I'm telling you, I, there's over 300 prophecies about what Jesus would come and do. And so if you're here today, you're not a follower of Jesus, you can be sure, it's one of the reasons you can be sure, there's lots of them, that this isn't just fairy tale. That, that this is evidence of God showing up and doing his things. And this is a plan in motion to redeem mankind and to save mankind, to save you and me. And that Jesus can be trusted. And that here in these verses, talking about him being pierced, we see that he's stricken by God, that he's afflicted, that he's punished. As I look at that, I'm blown away. I'm floored. Look what it says next. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Remember last week in Psalm 147, we talked about the word healed. This is the same Hebrew word, and it means to mend, to cure, to repair, and to make whole. By Jesus' wounds, on that cross, which remember Isaiah is seeing coming in the future, you're mended. You're made whole. You're repaired. You are healed. By his wounds. What, are, what wounds? Just the piercings? No, not just the piercing through his hands and his feet, but the beatings and the whippings and pulling the beards out of his face and, and the punching and the mocking and the, and the um, crown of thorns on his head. And so Jesus is the best person to heal you because he died for you. He died for you. He went through all of that for you. And so if you're here today saying, I don't know if I can trust this Jesus. I don't know that I can uh, really rely on him or I don't know that I can believe that he really cares for me. I, I've been taken advantage of before. I've been sold a lie before. Jesus has put his money where his mouth is. He doesn't just tell you he loves you. He showed you how much he loved you on the cross. Then verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And this is so important. Why is Jesus worth following? Why, why can you trust that he can heal your heart? Jesus 
is the best person to heal your heart because he died in your place. In your place. You know what that means? That means that when he was on the cross, he was dying as you and as me. Which means your sin and my sin was on him. He was on the hook, so to speak, for your sin and for my sin. So Jesus is the best person to heal your heart because he died in your place. Look at verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted. Have you ever been there? You ever been oppressed by somebody? You ever had an oppressing boss or an oppressing parent or an oppressing friend and just like it was their way or the highway and there was no conversation, there was no reasoning with this person? Ever been afflicted by somebody? Well, this brings us back to the thought we saw earlier. Jesus is the best person to heal your heart because he can relate to your hurt. Then the next part says this, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Have you ever been judged wrongly? See, Jesus was innocent, right? And pure and holy. Have you ever been judged or falsely accused? Jesus gets it. He understands. He feels that pain. He gets the pain that you feel, the betrayal that you feel when you're there. Look at this. This is powerful. Yet who of his generation protested. What does that mean? It means, here's Jesus about to be put on the cross. Who is there saying, wait, don't do this? Well, for a while you had a couple people standing up for Jesus, but eventually everyone ran, right? Everyone ran. Even Peter, who was like, I will stand by your side, let them do what they want to me, takes off. Who had Jesus back? Nobody had Jesus back. Do you know what? When you have no one that has your back, Jesus has your back. He can relate. He knows exactly what that feels like. When everybody's left you, when no one stood up for you, when you've been bullied, one of the things I always tell my kids, don't you ever let anybody get bullied. Certainly don't bully anybody, but don't you ever let anybody get bullied. You stand up for them. And maybe you've been the person who's been bullied and not stood up for. No one's come. Everyone stood around in a circle and laughed. Guys, Jesus gets it. Everyone stood around in a circle while they put a crown of thorns on him and mocked him, saying, oh yeah, what great God are you? And they put a robe on him, and they beat him, and they punched him and said, tell us who's hitting you if you're so great. Up on the cross, they mocked him and said, come down. What's the problem? You're God. He gets it. He understands no one's standing up for him. He understands feeling forsaken goes on a little bit here. It says, For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence. And that is important because one of the things that we see in the Gospels once Jesus dies is that he's buried in a rich man's tomb. And so again, 750 years before Jesus came, Isaiah is, is seeing this beautiful picture of what would happen. Nor was any deceit in his mouth, verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin. I know that feels like an awkward place to stop, but let's stop there for a second. Because uh, every time I talk about Isaiah 53, there's something that I have to bring up. You see, remember how I was talking about how sometimes it feels like God can't relate to us? And hopefully tonight you're seeing that Jesus can relate to you. But here's what we see. As we continue through these verses, we see that not only can Jesus relate to us, but it gets to the point where we can't relate to him. Do you know what I mean? It gets to the point where we're going, not only does Jesus know my pain, I can't even fathom his pain. 
Because I've never been put on a cross. And I've never been killed for somebody else's sin. And listen, this is really important. I've never been forsaken by God the Father. You see, Jesus was forsaken by God the Father so that you and I never would be. And so, not only can Jesus relate to you and me, we can't relate to Him. We don't understand the depths of what He has been through. The next few verses celebrate Jesus rising back from the dead and talks about what He accomplishes. It says, He will see His offspring and prolong His days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in His hands. After He has suffered, He'll see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. Now we're going to read the last part of verse 12 here. And if you didn't hear anything else I said tonight, please hear what I'm about to say. Look what it says here. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now, a lot of us in the room go, I know that, Doug. I know that Jesus bore my sin. I know that he stood between us and God the Father and took our sin and our pain. I get it. But here's what I want you to think about. See, we all celebrate the fact that Jesus did this for us. But you know what we don't often celebrate? The fact that Jesus bore the sin of the person that broke our heart. When have you ever done that in your life? Right? We're all like, oh, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me and giving me a second chance because I mess up all the time. When's the last time you were like, God, so-and-so wounded me so deeply. Thank you for redeeming them. Never done that. But this is so important that we understand. You know why? Please, please hear me on this. Because for some of us, the reason we haven't brought our brokenness to God for healing is because, please hear me, we feel like if our hearts are put back together, then we can't punish the people that hurt us anymore. You see, if I hold on to the the pain in my heart, then I'm punishing them. The truth is, is we're punishing ourselves, right? I mean, how often does that work? You stay angry at somebody and they feel all upset and punished. Usually they don't care. But this is the, the lie that we believe. If I hold on to the pain in my heart, I'm punishing those people. And here's what we do. We hold a debt against people, right? And we're like, okay, I am going to hold on to this pain until you cancel the debt, until you pay me back, which let's talk about that for a second. They can't pay you back, right? Let's say somebody lied about you and destroyed your reputation and it went around the whole school, the whole workplace. They can in no way go and find every single person that heard that thing about you, that lie about you, and, and make it right. They can come and apologize. They can ask you your forgiveness, and that's great. But they can never pay your debt back. Here's what I need you to hear, please. The debt that you hold against that person, listen to me, was paid by Jesus on the cross. You see, he carried the sin that brought your sorrow. He carried that sin. I know you know he carried your sin, But he carried the sin of the person that brought your sorrow in the first place. And so Jesus is the best person to heal your heart because he carried the sin that brought your sorrow. This helps us forgive, guys. This helps us let go. This helps us cancel debts. This helps us realize that the same grace that saves us saves another. And so I would just encourage you tonight, 
to hear Jesus saying, would you stop carrying the weight of their sin around? I already carried it. Let it go. Forgive like I've forgiven you. I canceled your debt. Now cancel their debt. Come to me for healing. That's the heart of God. I think he's saying to you tonight, come to me for healing. Stop putting it off because you think by holding on to it, you're punishing somebody else. You're not. You're destroying your own life. Jesus already carried the sin that brought your sorrow. Now, some of you guys are thinking, but Doug, I'm the person that broke my own heart. I'm the person. It's my sin that made my heart broken. I made some terrible choices, and because of those choices, now I have a broken heart. I just want you to remember what we looked at last week, that the nation of Israel had done exactly that, and yet what what did God say? What did the psalmist say about God? That he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Israel's entire issue was their own sin, and yet the psalmist could still say, but he healed us anyway. We got ourselves into a huge mess, but he healed us and put the pieces of our heart back together. And so God's heart for you is healing. And so the main takeaway of Isaiah 53, first and foremost, is that Jesus died in our place to remove our sin. But the second takeaway, the thing I want you to see tonight, is that Jesus is the best person to heal your heart. He's the best person to heal your heart. In fact, I would say he's the only person that can actually heal your heart. There are other people that can help you work through some issues. Absolutely, that's good. My wife is a very gifted counselor. She's amazing. She helps me through some things. But ultimately, my first conversation has to be God has to be, God, this really hurt me. This really tore me apart. God, would you begin to put the pieces back in my heart? And maybe he'll use some people. Maybe he'll use some counseling. But it's about going to him and saying, God, here's this delicate, broken place in me. Please put me back together. Because apart from you, I'm not going to find healing. So God, please touch my life. And you know, we're going to have perfect hearts in heaven. And we're going to be in an environment where we can no longer be hurt. No one can make us cry. We're not going to see death. And so we won't have any more loss. No one can reject us. No one can say something that's going to destroy our heart. And so that's coming. And we get to look forward to that. But I'm telling you, I believe God here and now wants to begin to do some healing in our hearts. And so will you bring God the broken places of your heart? Don't be like the person who goes to the cardiologist and decides, I don't need this. Don't be like me, who for years decided, I'm just going to pretend the painful things never happened in my life. So as I told you last week, I'm on the men's retreat a couple months ago, and the speaker's talking about God putting people's hearts back together. And there I am. And I'm thinking, man, I think all these years, the reason that I've struggled with anger coming out of my heart and impatience toward people that I really love is because my heart is broken. And I've never taken the time to bring it to Jesus and ask him to heal me. And you know, I started to little bit by little bit bring the broken places of my heart to God. And so I, I've been incredibly specific. If, if I can think about it as a painful memory, I've been bringing it to God. And so I had a conversation with God that went like this. God, when I was like seven years old, I remember being, hanging out, being on my neighborhood hanging out with some friends and, and them telling me that I had a big nose and I was fat. God, that hurt. And so I was a little kid, healed my heart from that. I remember when I was maybe 18, 19, and I had driven an hour and a half to volunteer at a church event. And when I got there, one of the other volunteers told me that nobody wanted me there. God, would you just repair that place in me? I remember when I was first a youth pastor on staff at a church, and and someone on staff made a a kind of a comparison between me and one of the other pastors and the way that we did things. And, And she basically said, you know, 
The way that pastor does it is right because, after all, he's a real pastor. God, that hurt. And Lord, standing in the room with my dad and my sister, my brother-in-law and my wife, and watching my, my mom take her last breath, that hurt. Oh, God, would you heal me? Would you heal these broken places in me? Would you put me back together? Because I don't want broken stuff to keep coming out of me, and I don't want to turn to broken things that are poison at worst and, and maybe a Band-Aid at best. God, I, I so badly need you to do what only you can do. And so what broken places that are in you need to be brought to God? What do you need him to do that only he can do in your life? Because I'm telling you, Jesus is the best person to heal your heart. It's true because he can relate to your hurt. It's true because he already carried your sorrow. It's true because he died for you and in your place. And it's true because he carried the sin that brought your sorrow. Let's pray. So God, we bring our hearts to you and we thank you that you care. We thank you that you're interested. We thank you that you're qualified. We thank you that, Jesus, you get it. You can understand the pain we've all been through to a degree we can't even understand. And God, we just come to you and ask, Lord, that you would put our hearts back together and that the brokenness would stop coming out because our hearts would be whole and that we'd stop turning to broken things because our hearts are whole. If you're a follower of Jesus, would you bring new broken things to Jesus tonight? Would you just share with God the things that are burdening you? Make it a habit. This morning, something happened and and I was hurt by something and my instant reflex was, God, that hurt. And I've lived 38 years of my life not doing that. And what an amazing habit to begin to have God this really broke me God I'm not going to pretend it didn't happen I'm not going to pretend it didn't hurt so would you just heal me so if you're a Christian spend some time doing that I want you to think about the things that have happened to you in your life and maybe now is the time maybe in the prayer time after the last song maybe you need to go drive to the beach later or, or sometime this week or spend some time by yourself and I want you to just think God what are the things that have have really marked me and, and, and what weights do I carry around that Jesus you already carried that I could put down what debts do I need to realize you already paid so I can find healing and I can forgive get very specific with God I don't think anything's too small I don't think me saying to God God it hurt when someone said I had a big nose I don't think that's too small I think God cares about that and so would you just bring those things to God if you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him, I want to encourage you to, to pray in just a minute. And, and this prayer doesn't save you. It's just a way to begin a conversation with God. Jesus saves you. We talked all about him tonight, him dying in our place, him being tortured and punished in our place for our sin, abandoned by the Father so that you and I never would be. And so if you'd like to begin a conversation with God, you could pray something like this. Jesus, please forgive me for my sin. Thank you so much for dying for me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you that you want to put the pieces of my heart back together. God, show me how real you are. Be my Savior in your name.